Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today this is our live last show for 2021. I'll be joined shortly uh, with my co-host, the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman, and the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, Jason Modlin. So if you have any questions on oil, gas, or the energy industry, call in now. The phone number is 210 210- Three zero eight 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 six seven, or our toll-free number of 866-308-8867. I'd also encourage you, if you want to ask a question, you can email me, Kim, K-Y-M, at shellmag.com, and I'll be sure to ask the guys your question, or you can message me on Facebook. Um, Before I bring on David and Jason, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. I'm very, very happy that we were able to catch up with Heidi Gill, who is the founder and CEO of Urban Solution Group out of Denver, Colorado. Um, I don't want to give away too much of her story, but she is just a dynamic woman who is really, uh, first of all, providing a much-needed company for the oil and gas sector to help with uh, pollution and noise, but also the fact that this uh, woman was able to s- pretty much grow a business from scratch into a, an enormous company. And so I'm so proud of Heidi Gill. Uh, great story. Uh, for more information or to read her story, please visit shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. I also want to tell you about our State of Energy 2022. It's coming up February 2nd. It'll be in beautiful Houston, Texas at the Houston Club uh, in downtown Houston. The keynote speaker will be uh, Commissioner Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, as well as we'll have panelists to come and speak on pretty much the energy transition and ESG. The panelists will include Mike Howard, the CEO of Howard Energy Partner Partners, Phil Anderson, the Senior Vice President of Liquid Pipeline for Enbridge, uh, Bruce Fullenweider, VP of Argus, as well as our moderator, uh, the CEO, uh, Sean Strawbridge of the Port of Corpus Christi. This will be a sold-out event. You definitely want to get your tickets now. Please, uh, if you want to secure your ticket and or sponsor a table, please go to shellmagticketleap.com slash energy. And now it's time for me to bring on my co-host, uh, David Blackman, along with Jason Modlin, president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Guys, welcome to our last live show for the year. Hi. Jason. Hi, Kim and David, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Same to you, Jason. Yes. Kim. I'm so excited because, you know, uh, first of all, I, there's a lot to cover, as always, in energy. But um, I'm excited because as we close out this year, we're definitely going to close out on a positive of thinking about where the show started. David, I think you uh, were with me when the show started and we were on one station and then we grew to two. Now we're in nine stations, uh, nationally syndicated and probably projecting we're gonna double in 2022. So I'm very excited for the partnership we have, Jason, with you guys. Um, David, thank you so much for being a wonderful co-host and making sure that we stay on track with the, 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 the real topics that are necessary in in energy 
and that you both are part of us helping the American people, our listeners, uh, grow and understand energy as a whole um, and, and, and break down a very complicated topic, which is energy, in a way <laughs> that most people you know, can understand it. Um, so before we get going, Jason, just quickly tell us a little bit about, for our listeners, what is the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers? What are you guys really your, your main mission and focus? Absolutely. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a trade association based here in Texas. We represent independent operators, particularly family-run businesses, the mom and pops of the oil and gas industry. Uh, we represent them in Austin and in Washington, D.C., advocating for smart environmental policy, uh, smart oil and gas policy and energy uh, uh, interactions. And, and so we've been doing that for about 91 years now. Well, that's a long uh, time to be around. Um, but, you know, when uh, the Alliance picked you up and hired you, I think David and I, we've seen such a, an amazing change uh, in, a, in a fabulous way. It, uh, the association has always been a great association, but you have a way of really taking tough topics, um, pieces of legislation, and helping our listeners understand how this imp, you know, will impact them if it passes. And so we're going to get into the Joe Biden Build Back Better bill. I want to also talk on, uh, or touch on energy prices, what can we expect in 2022, um, and just kind of break down some some tough topics. Uh, one more time, if you want to call into the show, the phone number is 210-308-8867. Um, if you want to talk about um, what's happening with um, the power grid, we, we welcome those questions as well as anything pertaining to climate change. Uh, but now I want to uh, briefly uh, get on the topic. Um, you know, Jason, David, we're approaching the end of 2021. Uh, the rig count has risen significantly in the fourth quarter. Um, and so my question is, a lot of it has been specifically in uh, the Permian Basin here in Texas. Um, but it, we've seen a lot of activity just all over North America. Um, do you expect this trend to continue 2022? Jason. I certainly hope so. Uh, we have a lot of room to catch up from our pre-pandemic production numbers um, uh, across the nation. Here in Texas, we, we've actually caught back up. We're, we're, we're nearly at our record levels that we were at at the end of 2019, 2020. Um, uh, but we still have a pretty significant gap across the country. Uh, and, and we need to get back there. And, and in particular, in the Permian, we have the capacity to do it. We've built a lot of pipelines over the last two years to be able to move natural gas, to be able to move crude oil uh, to markets along our Gulf Coast. And uh, we need pr producers to take advantage of that capacity. Um, and, and, and hopefully uh, it'll be met with an administration that wants to see American energy uh, exported around the world. That helps our allies, that helps uh, uh, so many countries that are dealing with energy poverty and challenges from uh, having the only other supplier be Russia. Um, so America needs to be in the mix and in those markets. And, and hopefully we'll have an administration that, again, champions American energy. Perfect. Well, um, David, I'm going to I know you have some questions on Build Back Better. It's been announced by Joe Manchin. Uh, uh, we've had some headway there. But before I turn it over to David, I just want to say, you know, to the alliance, thank you for going to D.C. and carrying the oil and gas message about how important it is and what was in the bill that was so troubling. So, David, 
you know, let's get on the topic with Jason on the Build Back Better, um, <clears throat> hopefully killed bill that uh, <laughs> the Democrats and Joe Biden wanted to pass. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah, but I'm, first I want to echo uh, your compliments uh, to the alliance and, and just uh, say that, that I've always had a wonderful relationship with the, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers going back 20 years um, and have always recognized uh, the value of that particular association to our industry. They have, have just, uh, and of course, you know, they've up their game even better than ever here since Jason with Jason came on board. <laughs> and uh, but it, you know it's just really an incredibly effective organization and I really personally uh, have always valued my relationship there so thank you Jason for for continuing that with us here at the radio show um <laughs> you know build back better it looks like Joe Biden may have killed it I guess uh, at least for now uh, today with his comments on Fox News Sunday that he is a firm no on that bill now. Uh, Jason, I, I just wonder uh, what from y'all's uh, perspective there at the Alliance, uh, what would be the chances of this thing getting raised from the political dead in 2022? Well, I think there's a high likelihood that it does get uh, resurrected in the spring. Uh, certainly, it, it's the president's number one legislative priority. Um, and so I would imagine that we will see some different variation of this bill in the spring. We will likely be headed back there pretty quickly uh, at the start of the new year uh, to see what the new iteration is going to be. It was great to see Senator Manchin's comments this morning that he was uh, ultimately opposed to the bill in its current iteration from passing this year. He has certainly tried any number of ways to, to try to, uh, uh, you know, make that bill work uh, with his number one priority being um, Social Security um, and Medicare. He wants to make sure programs remain solvent. Um, nothing as part of this bill uh, would have helped in that process. In fact, it would have driven up deficits pretty considerably uh, to the point yeah, that we both those programs. Absolutely. Right. Uh, in addition to that, uh, it, it, it had uh, specific provisions targeting the oil and gas industry, and in particular, natural gas consumers. And right. at a time when we're all facing inflation pressures, when we're facing rising energy prices, to impose a $13 billion tax on the industry uh, and ultimately consumers, consumers didn't yeah. make sense. It, it didn't make sense to Senator Manchin, and, and that was great that he was able to stop that. Well, Jason, I think a lot had to do with you all's visit to Senator Manchin when you all were in D.C. to talk about this specific bill. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on this topic. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, starting at 11.30 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for State of Energy's luncheon in Houston on February the 2nd, 2022, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and he is here to answer any oil, gas, or energy question you have. If you want to join the show, please call 210-308-8867 or our toll-free number 866-308-8867. Guys, before the break, we were talking about the Build Back Better bill that has died for now. But I do want our, our phone lines are starting to get uh you know, heavy again. So let's try to take a call real quick, and then we'll come back to the topic, I promise. Uh, Joe in the Woodlands. Joe, how are you? Uh, and what is your question for the guys? Thank you so much for listening and following the show and participating in our live show. Uh, what's your question for today? Hey, Kim, David, and Jason. Uh, you sort of stole my thunder with the Bill Back Better. Uh, well, there's a lot to discuss in that Build Back Better. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I know. I think it's just obviously another money grab from the oil and natural gas industry to pop up the green industry. But, you know, at $1,500 a ton, it's just going to make the winter more expensive for the average homeowner and business owner. But uh, a lot of that uh, natural gas tax is a tax on methane. And isn't methane used to produce hydrogen and produce propane? And if so, couldn't the companies just claim that it's being used for, to produce these two things and avoid that tax. And I've also read up that one acre of de- densely forested land will produce more bog methane than the average oil and natural gas drilling site. So, you know, is that something you've often uh, heard? Or, I mean, why should we be punished if it's something that's naturally occurring also? Yeah, uh, Joe, uh, a great question. I, I'll probably start there. So what the administration and the EPA often points to is that oil and gas makes up about a third of the methane emissions in the country. Uh, if you if you break that down further, um, the upstream production is a minuscule amount of those emissions. Uh, far more is in is in kind of midstream and, and downstream applications. Um, what this tax would have done is charge uh, the oil and gas industry. If you report to EPA's greenhouse gas emissions, then that fifteen hundred dollar a ton uh, price point. EPA couldn't figure out how to implement it. 
Um, uh, but uh, they they persisted uh, without congressional hearings to include this into the bill um, and and try to ram it through. And, and thankfully, people started asking questions. Even EPA started asking questions as to how how are we going to implement this? We we are not a tax revenue uh, uh, agency, um, and, and ultimately, hopefully, uh, it ha- it has died uh, for now. Um, uh, you're going to continue to see pressure on methane emissions. There's no doubt about that. EPA is moving forward on rules specifically targeting oil and gas. Um, they're, they're going to do a little bit uh, of different things for other industries where they know they have methane emissions uh, uh, problems. But, but by and large, oil and gas is still very much in the crosshairs of this administration. Yeah, and uh, Joe, first of all, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you for the call. Um, you know, uh, on, on your first point uh, about methane being used to produce hydrogen, that, that's actually true. And when you think about these emissions uh, in the midstream and downstream industries, uh, there are already several big projects uh, getting ramped up in this country, uh, including one by Howard Energy at the Port of Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. to capture these methane and carbon emissions at the tailgate of plants and compressor stations and at various other points uh, and industrial sites and use it to create hydrogen from uh, for use in future use in hydrogen automobiles or, or other applications that use hydrogen. So it, you know, um, while I understand the concerns about methane emissions, uh, I don't necessarily agree with the with the prevailing narrative around them, but uh, understand the concerns. There's lots of ways to mitigate methane emissions uh, in this country, and and you have some very creative companies and men and women running these companies uh, looking at those ways and and raising the capital to fund projects to do it. And it, I, I think we tend to in this frenzy narrative on the energy transition to kind of lose sight of, of how creative uh, the human race really is in, in terms of solving problems and how, how adept the oil and gas industry has always been in doing that. And uh, I think as time goes on, you're gonna see a lot more of that kind of innovation within this industry that's going to uh, solve these problems in a different way than we're thinking they're gonna be solved right now. Very good. You know, um, I want to take Lisa in San Antonio uh, back when we come back from break. But before we go to break, I I did want to just return back to the Build Back Better piece of legislation um, because there was a great article that was released this morning by Michael Schellenberger. You guys might remember him. He joined us on the show. Yeah, I read that. It's fantastic. It's, you know, he's, he's a great writer um, and is, 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 you know, basically laying out, uh, this horrible bill, the way it would be right now, and the amount of money that would be added into the national debt, uh, the the uh, nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office office is listing that this would be one point seven trillion in new spending and one hundred and fifty eight billion in the national debt over the next decade, and you know these things have consequences to the consumer. And so uh, when we come back from break, we're going to take a question from Lisa, who's been on hold. Thank you for waiting. But I also want uh, Jason and David for you guys to really explain to the listeners what we can expect if this thing is going to come back in the spring, like you're saying, Jason, 
uh, and its current form, which I'm sure it'll change to a degree, uh, what is that going to do to the average consumer? But we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. This is our live show. If you want to join the discussion on energy, please call 210-308-8867 or the toll-free number 866-308-8867. Guys, we're going to get back on the Build Back Better bill, and we've got a lot of questions to get through. But I do want to uh, bring Lisa Barry on the line, line two from San Antonio. Lisa, are you there? And what is your question for David and Jason? Yes, ma'am, I'm here. Um, back when the shale oil boom began and all of the, you know, a lot of the trucks, the via buses, the uh, UPS trucks, all, you know, are running on natural gas. Why in the world do we not have cars that run on natural gas? I would appreciate that being a local realtor. And I don't want to drive on a battery. I'm sorry. I just don't. And I would love to have a natural gas uh, SUV. Very good question, Lisa. And I think you're meaning the battery as a Tesla battery, which we've discussed a couple of times on the show in the past, that there are some safety issues uh, currently right now with the Tesla batteries and and, um, how to deal with them if they should catch on fire, right? So which one of you guys wants to take that question? Uh, Are we on the path for our personal vehicles uh, moving towards natural gas as opposed to, I guess, gas burning combustible engine? Uh, engines it, it is certainly a lot harder than just uh uh going down to the dealership and picking up an electric vehicle but but there are a number of uh cng vehicles uh natural gas vehicles that are for personal vehicles here in uh texas you, you do have to find uh charging station that that's certainly uh a hard part to make sure that you can get that natural gas and, and get it into your vehicle being in san antonio lisa uh, y'all have the uh, largest CNG fleet in America. Actually, I think it's in the world. Um, uh, your bus system there in San Antonio, 
utilizes natural gas, which, which is fantastic. Um, uh, unfortunately, I'm in Austin and I get stuck uh, behind broke down electric buses all the time. So uh, you, you've got a pretty good uh, uh, public transit system there with, with natural gas. But um, no, it's a, it's a lot harder to go out and find that natural gas vehicle and then find those chargers. Very good. Yeah, it really is. It's it's unfortunately has not been distributed as widely as we had hoped. Uh, we, you know, the state of Texas did pass a, a bill in 2011 that incentivized the building of new infrastructure, and quite a bit of it was put in in the uh, triangle uh, interstate corridors between San Antonio and Dallas and Houston. Um, but it's not enough. It hasn't been enough. And, and unfortunately, with all the frenzy around promoting and subsidizing electric vehicles, natural gas vehicles have been disadvantaged uh, just in terms of the government's uh, willingness to promote them. And uh, which is too bad because, I mean, the reality is when you look at, at our power grid and how electric vehicles are recharged uh, from our power grid, which is how it happens with virtually all of them, uh, over 40% of our electricity in Texas is supplied by natural gas, another 15 to 20% by coal. And, and so you're using the natural gas to charge the electric vehicles. Why not just run your car on the natural gas, right? But, uh, but anyway, it's just one of these, these strange aspects of our society, I'll say, that is in some large part a result of government trying to pick winners and losers in the marketplace and and isn't it David, you raised a great point about about <laughs> charging that vehicle uh and kim mentioned tesla earlier elon musk has said that we either need to triple or quadruple the amount of electricity we produce in the united states if we're all going to have these electric vehicles yeah uh something that seems uh out of reach considerably <laughs> And are they yeah, ever? And that's just for the electric vehicles. It doesn't include all the other right. growth that's right. in electricity. That's right. and, and do you think, though, that at some point they also become affordable to the average American citizen as well? Because you have that also that you have to consider that uh, most people cannot afford a Tesla currently. Uh, but yet we want to increase that. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk back uh we're going to talk, get back on the subject of Build Back Better. Excuse me. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for State of Energy's luncheon in Houston on February the 2nd, 2022, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. And we're back. You're listening to in the old 
Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Injury Producers, as well as David Blackman, the editor of Show Magazine. If you're interested in joining the show today, please call 210-308-8867. Guys, we, we, I want to move on. We, we do have a lot to cover. I just quickly wanted to get your opinion on the Michael Schellenberger's piece this morning. One of the things he notes, too, is... Uh, most dangerously, the Build Back Better would undermine electricity reliability, raise energy prices, and make the U.S. more dependable on foreign energy imports. Um, it would make us also less reliable on our weather, as we saw uh, here in Texas and California, uh, rolling blackouts would also, uh, you know, cause a problem for us as well. So, uh, Y'all's opinion, Jason, you said this might come back. Does all of this stuff, uh, you, most of it was built with a lot of green incentives in there. So where do you think the um, the bill goes if it, if, it, if it comes back next year? How much of this green stuff is taken out or is it still going to be pushed um, to this point where it makes us more reliable on foreign energy and less safe uh, here in the United States? Yeah, I think it's still going to be pushed. I mean, it, it, it's a hallmark uh, uh, for for the president. Uh, he's going to continue to push on it. I think it'll probably be pared down considerably uh, to, to numbers that um, uh, Senator Manchin might be more amenable to. Um, but uh, uh, we're going to continue to 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 emphasize and, and fight that message that um, uh, simply raising taxes and then a lot of speculation similar to what we saw with Solyndra several years ago uh, of just dumping money on kind of new uh, um, uh, projects don't necessarily result in in more energy and more energy security for the United States. Yeah, I mean, I, that's absolutely right. I think it, it'll come back piecemeal. I, do, I don't think we'll, we'll see a big omnibus bill like this uh, because it's, it's an election year, first of all. And it's going to become much, much more difficult to pass a bill like this, even in the House next year, because you have 30 to 40 Democrats uh, incumbents who are in swing districts who are gonna be in great danger of losing their reelections if they vote for some of the elements of, of the Build Back Better program. And, you know, with a lot less time to try to rationalize all that with their voters in their districts. I, you know, the, the, the $600 billion in Green New Deal funding that was in this bill, uh, you're going to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the big pushers of that that Green New Deal really screaming about Joe Manchin this week because that was this was a cornerstone mm -hmm. of their strategy to implement that Green New Deal agenda. And, uh, you know, they can't do it without all these massive subsidies. So uh, they will definitely come back next year in another proposal. And, uh you know, we'll just see how Senator Manchin responds to a series of individual spending bills instead of, you know, presumably with lower price tags than this $2 trillion thing that he hopefully just killed today. Okay, well, um, Barry, let's take line two. Sarah San Antonio, welcome to the Oil Patch Radio Show. And what's your question? Hi, thanks for taking my question, Kim. Um, my question was really about the Permian Basin um, and the Bakken. I was reading an article on Rystad Energy talking about how, um, you know, flaring is really 
um, taking a, a downturn in the end of 2021. So I was wondering um, why that's happening. Perfect. Well, we do have a lot of questions on natural gas, the pricing as well as flaring. Uh, who wants to take that question on? And um, Rolstead Energy did do a good report on, you know, what's happening that's just decreasing. Uh, yeah. Jason, is the expert on that. Yeah, Sarah, that's a great question. Um, the Railroad Commission's latest numbers have uh, natural gas flaring in the state of Texas about 0.2% of overall gas that's gone to market. It's a remarkable change from what we saw two years ago when we had um, uh, over 2% statewide and, and certainly higher numbers in the Permian Basin. We continue to see the Bakken, uh, uh, if not in double digits, just short of double digits on, on flaring. And, and so uh, it's truly a remarkable story here in Texas where we have added a lot of takeaway capacity in terms of pipelines to make sure that that natural gas can be uh, exported to market. But we've also had uh, operators and producers really invest a lot more in, in technologies and innovations in the field. We've also had the Texas Methane and Flaring Coalition here in Texas really championing free market principles, uh, making sure that uh, uh, companies can lead on uh, these innovations and being more efficient as, a, as opposed to kind of a heavy hand of government from North Dakota, New Mexico, Colorado, that actually lag what Texas is, is doing right now in terms of yeah. our efficiency. Very good. Um, David, I know we have to switch gears and I know we want to bring it back to Texas a little bit. Governor Abbott um, was yeah. uh, announcing that he feels very confident that the grid, we will not have any problems as the weather, um, you know, uh, we get colder here in Texas. And I know that you had an opinion about that. So um, what do you think, uh, Jason, what do you think? Yeah, Jason, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about this. The governor for the last month now has been going all over the state, not just saying he feels confident, but guaranteeing that we will not have a failure. We will not have blackouts uh, in, on the Texas grid this winter, regardless of the weather. And I just wonder uh, if you think he's really on firm enough ground to be, I mean, I understand the reasons why he's feeling confident. But man, making an absolute guarantee, that's that seems like a risky strategy to me. What do you think? I hope so. Um, uh, um, uh, for all our sakes, I mean, that was a terrible storm that we experienced here in Texas. And, and certainly we don't want to see anything like that again. Hopefully the measures that uh, the Texas legislature have taken along with our regulators have, have insulated us a little bit uh from those types of interruptions um unfortunately uh david you and i haven't seen any new what? capacity added to right. the jason jason uh, hang on hang on a second jason we're coming up on a hard break you're listening to on the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and my co-host, David Blackman, who's also the editor of Shell Magazine. Jason, I'm sorry I had to cut your answer on Governor Abbott's guarantee that we are not going to go off the grid this winter. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to come back and finish that your, your uh, answer on uh, do you think this is possible, that, that we'll keep the lights on? Well, like yeah, like I mentioned before, I mean, we're, we're hopeful that that's the case, uh, um, but we haven't seen the added capacity, uh, particularly on thermal generation, that that um, uh, would help to guarantee that. Um, uh, we have added about 11,000 megawatts uh, uh, since February. Uh, unfortunately, David, I think about 10.5 is wind. Yeah, um, almost all uh, of it, yeah. The remainder is natural gas, and so... Um, uh, you know, we just don't have the ability, if we have interruptions, to flip a switch. Um, uh, that's just that's just not there right now. Hopefully, some of the actions that the PUC uh, took are starting to incentivize uh, more capacity added on. Um, uh, it, time will tell on that. So, Jason, we're talking about power generation, and, and this week th- there was a very interesting. Uh, report from the International Energy Agency uh, that coal usage in India and China uh, specifically, but really around the world, is now approaching record levels again. And and that is in large part due to the failure of the wind industry to perform as it had been expected to in Europe and in some parts of Asia. What, you know, when we look at this energy transition and this this narrative that says, oh, we're just going to get rid of oil and gas and coal and and replace it all with wind turbines and 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 solar arrays. I mean, what what is this crisis? I mean, we're about to have a major energy crisis in Europe and probably Asia this year, this winter. What does that tell us about the prospects of this energy transition? narrative that we've been hearing pushed so dramatically this year? Well, when we get asked about energy transition, it's frequently transition to what, right? We still have 2 billion people in this world that don't have reliable energy, don't have reliable electricity. Uh, We have 4 million people a year that die from indoor air pollution. Uh, Simply the ability to have a propane stove um, the ability to turn the light on, how how remarkable that is for so many people in this world to be able to elevate their standard of living, 
keep their kids from developing asthma, uh, have the ability to, to educate their kids or do some homework at night. Um, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, we're a long way away from, from doing away with that type of poverty in this world. Um, and so we need energy and liquefied natural gas, American oil, um, can help uh and and certainly renewables can have a part in that uh but as you've seen um coal uh uh demand has hit record levels both here in the u.s but then china and, and europe um and, and simply it's because we need reliable energy we we need that backstop and so when the when the sun stops shining the wind stops blowing you got to be able to turn back to something. Uh, we would certainly like it to be more natural gas. Uh, natural gas has the ability to reduce our emissions considerably. We've seen 77% uh, of emissions reduced over the last several years because of the switch to natural gas. We're now back to 1990 levels of emissions in this country. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, you need that heat, you need that uh, electricity to come on. And that's why you're seeing Europe uh, bring out these coal plants out of mothball status uh, and run coal through them to make sure that the power stays on. Yeah. You know, and and, and but what other country uh, on earth has been able to reduce its emissions profiles to levels uh, in 1990? Are there any? I, I don't think any country has been able to meet uh, even their Paris Climate Accord goals right. um, unless they simply just do not consume power, uh, which is a great tactic. I mean, we're seeing that in California, uh, <laughs> relying on other states, uh, and they're going to do away with their nuclear facilities. They're going to do away with their natural gas facilities. Uh, they're going to provide some solar and some wind um but if those aren't working they're going to rely on their neighboring states to power their grid yeah well natural gas prices uh, hit another record this week in europe and I, I thought that was interesting as well you know europe is scrambling to find enough gas to get through the winter uh, because the windmills uh, aren't turning right now and and but the price of natural gas in the united states has stayed relatively low really uh, even going into the winter now. Talk about why our country is, has been insulated from that spike in prices that's impacting other parts of the world. Yeah, we, we produce a lot of natural gas uh, here in the United States, and, and then we have the ability to store it. Uh, we haven't seen quite the level of uh, demand on, on natural gas here in the U.S., and so that's insulated us some from these prices. We also have some constraints in, in, in getting that uh, uh natural gas across the Atlantic and across the Pacific. Uh, you, get, you have to load it onto a ship um, and, and that takes quite a while to, to, to get it loaded on and then and then overseas. So uh, uh, we're not as subject to the European market um, as, as other countries. Uh, coincidentally enough though, we have parts of this country that don't have the ability to get natural gas. Uh, New York City, uh, and other parts of the Northeast that are subject to the European market because they are importing that liquefied natural gas from, from either uh, Barbados or from overseas, uh, from Russia. Um, from Russia and so yeah. they're paying extremely high prices for natural gas, even though they have a neighboring state in Pennsylvania where they could get 
uh, um, endless amounts of natural mm-hmm. gas. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Marcellus, we've had their president on numerous times. Uh, but, guys, you know, I think one thing has become clear. We just conducted or, or finished uh, the world. We were had our show there at the World Petroleum Congress. It was the 23rd um, in Houston last week. And the overarching theme with every single major operator was that they were going to be carbon-free 2050. Um, Saudi Arabia has come up with a carbon index. And I, I just want to say that it seems extremely hard to try to understand and navigate through such a complex topic such as energy. And I'm very, very glad, Jason, David, that you join me week after week to try to help the people understand this is a very difficult and uh, complicated topic. And without y'all's partnerships, especially Jason, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, you know, we just wouldn't really have a great show to try to break down these really uh, tough topics. And I think it's just going to get more and more confusing when we talk about the energy transition and what does that mean for all of us, uh, rather we're in, in the inter- energy industry or not. And I'm sorry, I'm having such a hard time talking today, but that <laughs> is all the time we have for this show. Thank you once again for joining us and uh, joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.